0: You know, we've been working our way through Genesis here, slowly but surely, but um, there's a number of things I kind of want to talk about for just a second here as we think about where we've been in the book of Genesis. We started in the beginning was God, and he created the heavens and the earth. We saw at the very beginning the Trinity there. We saw God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We also learned and saw that the Bible says that God created heaven and earth in the six literal days. You know, we talked about this when we talked about it way back when, but the idea that, well, I have a hard time believing that. Well, that's, that's up to you to believe it or not, but the Bible says it. The Bible says it was six literal days. Just because we can't wrap our finite minds around an infinite God doesn't mean it's not true. God created men and women. He created us in His image. We talked about that, what that means, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God doesn't make mistakes, that every one of us is a child of God Almighty. He instituted the first marriage, and we realize that the Bible says that marriage is between man and woman. No matter what the Supreme Court says, or no matter what it is said out there in the, in the secular world, God says marriage defines a union between a man and a woman. And the story from God's perspective, we saw the first sin, Adam and Eve. God gave Adam and Eve that beautiful, beautiful Garden of Eden. All these things that God gave, He gave to man, the first man and the first woman, but He had one requirement. Why did He say? Do not eat from that tree. I think it was a test. You know what? They failed. But guess what? We fail as well. We have missed the mark too many times. We saw the first murder because of jealousy, because of insecurity. Cain murdered Abel. We see in all that the prophecy of Jesus Christ ultimately coming and defeating Satan. We see the genealogy then of Cain and the the next son of Adam and Eve, Seth. We realize that we have an incredible opportunity to impact the next generations. That we as moms and dads can Im- Im- impact our children. They'll impact their children. And those children will impact their children. We have the opportunity because of the power of Jesus Christ. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit to impact generations to come. For hundreds of years. We saw the godly and ungodly lines of and ancestors of Seth and Cain. And how their impact went one way and then the other way. Seth. Encouraged his descendants, his genealogy, to walk with the Lord. Today we're going to get into Noah. Isn't it interesting? I was thinking about this this week. All the rain we had this week. You know, it's you know we had we had a good amount of rain for us, but you know what? It did a lot of damage. You probably saw some of the pictures. The roads destructive. But could you imagine forty days of that, and forty nights of that? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. And uh, you know, the story of Noah covers four chapters. It's that important. Noah is probably one of the most well-known characters in the Bible to those that don't really understand the Bible. In fact, if you were to go out into the secular world and stand in the street corner and say, Do you know who Noah was? Most people would probably say, Yeah, wasn't he the guy with the ark that put all the animals on that ark? You know, remember when Jay Leno and other people have done it since then, but Jay Leno used to go out in the street and ask people questions? Jay Leno was out there one day and said, uh, Excuse me, do you know who Joan of Arc is? And they thought for a minute says, Wasn't that Noah's wife? Driving over to the Bible study on Friday morning in the rain, uh, the announcer on uh, PER came on and said, "Hey, we got a joke here for you." And they had a comedian on there talking about the fact that isn't it interesting that parents like to put pictures of Noah and the Ark and all the animals and the rainbow on the wall in their children's room? He says, "Man, this is amazing. They put this. So many people use that for description. Do they write underneath it that Noah, Noah and uh, seven other descendants were the only ones that survived, and God killed everybody else?" It's it's kind of interesting, isn't it? A lot of times when we think about Noah, that's what we think about. We think about the ark and all those cute little animals getting on the ark. And I've had my children uh, wonder before, well, how did they get these on there? And how get that there? Did they get dinosaurs on there? Absolutely, baby dinosaurs. They'd fit, you know. Although the ark was pretty big. You know that same comedian said this. He said maybe in the nursery they put a picture of Stephen being stoned. And um, it's just amazing though that uh, when we think of Noah. We don't really think of the beginning of the story, Noah. Why God flooded the earth? You know, it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's an issue too that we really don't like to talk about. We really don't like to think about it. In fact, if I were to point out and say, "You're guilty," "You're guilty," "You're guilty," in our heart of hearts, we'd probably all say, "Yeah, I am. I am." You know, we don't really like to acknowledge the fact that we're all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. You know, a lot of times when people get saved, my wife and I have talked about this for years, and just the idea of, you know, how, how can we help people understand truly what's happening here? The idea that uh, I'm coming forward here and I've just heard that Jesus Christ forgives sins. How could that be? How could Jesus Christ forgive my sins? Well, we had to pay a penalty to do that. He died upon that cross for my sins. But we really don't like to look at ourselves in that light a whole lot. In fact, a lot of times we don't want to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. What does sinning really mean? It means missing God's mark. It means it's a rebellion against what God desires for us to be about. Well, I'm not in rebellion. Well, yes, we are. If I'm not walking where God wants me to be, I'm not walking according to His rules. I'm walking in rebellion. Noah lived in dark times. I want you to open your Bible right now, if you will. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. As you're turning there, I want you to realize that um, Noah lived in dark times, but the, the, things were going from bad to worse. They really were bad news at the time of Noah. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But if you found your way to Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Verse one it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives from themselves of all whom they chose, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever for indeed he is flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. Verse four it says, There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of women and bore children to them, those were the mighty men. Who were of old men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness in verse five there of man was great upon the earth, and that every tent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved to his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds in the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But I love it when you see the word but in God's holy word. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the holy earth. God, may you bless the reading of your holy word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's hard to imagine that it could get any worse, but it did. It continued getting worse and worse and worse. And just think about this for a second. God finally had had enough. Enough is enough, he says. He says, you know, I'm sorry that I even made man upon the earth. How bad do we have to be before God says that? You know, there's been a number of times in the Holy Word that we see where God has had enough. He just had enough. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? The prophets of Baal, God brought down that fire with uh, Elijah there. He just gotten fed up with it. He talks about in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 20 of Romans, talks about the fact that these people have blasphemed my spirit. I'm taking my hands off them. I've had enough. I want nothing to do with them anymore. I'm finished and done with them. He says, God said, I'm going to destroy them all. I'm finished and done. Their sin was so bad, I'm finished with them. I'm going to destroy everything. But, but he saw one man, Noah. And I want you to think back, two weeks ago we talked about this, the the godly line that came out of Seth, the the son of Adam and and Eve. It came through Enoch. Enoch was the great-grandfather to Noah. The Bible says this about Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. Remember that? That Enoch was transmitted into heaven without ever dying. God took him straight to heaven. Because why? Because he walked with God. We're going to talk about what that means more in just a few minutes here. But Noah was a descendant of this. So Noah came from a line of men and women that loved the Lord. He learned from his ancestors. He learned from his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. He heard the stories about Enoch, his great-grandfather. God did that to my great-grandfather he's talking about here. Noah walked with God. Noah was a righteous man, was a good man. He found grace in God Almighty because why? Because generations before him had showed him the way to walk with God. We have an incredible opportunity in this world to walk with God in a great way. I want to take you back to the first two verses, though, of Genesis 6 here. Look at these with me for just a second again. It said, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, of all whom they chose. You know, this has caused a little consternation, a little confusion through the years. What exactly is the sons of God and the daughters of men? Well, there's one explanation. This is one explanation The sons of God are fallen angels. They're demons. The daughters of men were the human women there in that time. So what you could believe there for just a moment, this doesn't have to be my position, but what you can believe if you like, is that angels, fallen angels, took on a human body. Angels, first of all, are sexless. There's no sex to angels. They're they're not defined as sex. And they have no sexual relations. But you might be able to say, well, well, they transmitted themselves into being human beings. And had, had, had human beings. It talks about sons of God three times in the book of Job. But those are not fallen angels. Those are God's angels. It's a positive thing. Right here in the scripture it said, sons of God. You would not describe a son of God as a demon or a fallen angel. God wouldn't do that. The other part about this whole thought is that God's talking about man's sin here. So the second explanation which I seem to part, part with or believe in. Is the fact that sons of God are descendants of Seth. They're godly men. The daughters of men are the ungodly women of Cain's line. And so what we have here is a godly line of Seth marrying an ungodly line of Cain. In the midst of all that, you know what usually happens a lot of times when this happens. The New Testament talks about this not being unequally yoked. That we don't want to have a believer join with an unbeliever because what happens? Too many times it ends up being an ungodly relationship. It, 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 It disturbs and distorts and it contaminates God's desire for a marriage. God desires that a man and woman get married. They'd be equally yoked. Which means they're pulling the same plow. It means that they're both living for the Lord. Living for God Almighty. They're not unequally yoked. But too many times in this world we see an ungodly person marry a godly person. And unfortunately for years if not forever that relationship is never God centered. It's just sad. It's very sad. Like Amy said, we had a marriage yesterday, and I'm privileged to do a number of marriages here over the next few months here. But there's no greater institution than marriage. It's God's plan. God created marriage while the world was yet, think about this, perfect. God's plans are always perfect. God's plan for a husband and wife is a perfect plan. We can't walk it perfectly as much as we try. We need to try and try to live in a righteous way. I want you to think about this for just a second in your own life, married or not. Marriages impact a person's life more than any other institution out there. Think about that. A marriage impacts a relationship between people more than any other institution out there. We have an incredible opportunity to destroy or to build up. The idea of a marriage is to build it up, to edify it, to encourage each other, to live for the Lord but to have Jesus Christ sitting right in the throne of our marriage, right in the middle of our marriage out there. But God's put this right up front here and saying, hey, one of the biggest problems we've got right now, and we still have the same problem, is the fact that marriage is not exalted the way I intended it to be exalted. Marriage is not lifted up because we don't have Jesus Christ sitting in the middle of that marriage. Too many marriages are failing today. I'll testify this right now. The biggest problem in America today is the family unit. The family and the unit not living for the glory of God. If the, fa- if the man and the woman in the marriage got their marriage right, you know what our nation starts looking like? A marriage that's doing well. They start seeing a marriage in this, in this union here, in the, in the neighborhoods, and say, that's the way we need to live. God had every intention when he established marriages for that to be the foundational unit to society. The next thing came the family. Then came the church. Then came the unity there. You know, one of the biggest things that hurts the church as well, too, is a marriage that's not Right? A marriage is not living the, the quick way. Put a little plug in here. Um, Pastor Scott mentioned it a minute ago. But one of the greatest things that will ever happen at church is when the men get fired up and excited about leading their families for the glory of God. When the men become the leaders in the family and in the church and the marriages, we got great men in this church, and I love it. But you know what? I think God's got bigger things for us. We've got a lot of men right now that don't know the direction, don't know how to kind of lead their families in the right way. So we have an incredible opportunity as men in this church to come together Thursday night. There's the advertisement right now. Right in the middle of the program here. Free advertisement. No extra charge. Thursday night at 6.30. I want to personally invite the men of this church to come out. Keep you about an hour. okay? We're going to pray. We're going to talk about a couple of things and we're going to pray. Just spend that time together. It's a great time of fellowship as well. It's interesting though. I've seen too many times what God can do in a marriage. And I love that. But I've also seen what Satan can do in a marriage. I can see how easy we're susceptible I want you to understand this morning, just like it's here, the first two verses of chapter 16 when God's getting ready to destroy the earth because of sin, that his first thought here is marriage. Marriages are corrupted. They're not where they need to be. God's telling us right here that you need to get the marriages right first and foremost. Get your own heart right. But then Satan's number one target is the family and the marriages. Let me say this to my single adults in the room here too. I believe it's better to be single than to marry a jerk. Did the pastor just say jerk? Yes, he did. (laughs) It is. It's better to be married than to marry a jerk, okay? Go out and find somebody else that's not a jerk, okay? Or find somebody else that is the Lord. A lot of times this happens too. We kind of have an engagement or a marriage of evangelism. Well, after we get married, I'll make sure he get saved. No, don't wait. Don't do that. Let him get saved before you get married, okay? Lead him that way. Trust God for that. In fact, I'll go so far as this. I don't believe if you're a single person, you should date somebody that's not saved. Okay? I think you wait until they get saved. Encourage them that way. Lead them that way. Charles Spurgeon said this. The Prince of Preacher said this. As we as Christians don't pull the world up. The world pulls up to us down. We truly underestimate the power of sin. I've seen it over and over. Men and women that are walking in a good way of the Lord all of a sudden fall to sin. We've talked about this before, but how does Satan operate? Satan operates very craftily. He's been doing it for a lot of years. He knows what he's doing. He likes to entice us. First of all, hey, come look at this. Okay. Then he kind of ensnares us, and the next thing we do, we wake up and we're ensnared to it. We're enslaved to it. He entices us, he ensnares us, and then he enslaves us. Satan is a crafty fellow. Satan's very, very, very smart, smart. In fact, let me share this with you. We stand absolutely no chance against Satan. We don't. Without Jesus. But with Jesus, he stands no chance, okay? He's the grasshopper here. Satan will annihilate him when we allow Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life. And look at this world from Jesus' perspective as opposed to our own perspective. God has a powerful note. But we continually underestimate the power of Satan. You know, think about this. This is the story of Noah right here. Noah was building an ark, listen very carefully, for 120 years, somewhere in that space. But God told us in verse number 3 that my spirit's not going to reside with you forever. It's going to be gone in 120 years. You have 120 years. So for 120 years, the people that lived around Noah saw him building this ark. Think about this. They saw Noah building a boat in the middle of the desert in a land that had never seen rain. It had never rained before that on this world. Never. Never rained. So can you only imagine the ridicule that Noah took? But it tells us over here in 2 Peter 2.5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Peter recorded this. It says this in in, uh, 2 Peter 2.5. It says, God did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah not only built that ark in the middle of all these people. What are you building that ark? Are you an idiot or something like that? There's no water around here. It's not going to rain. They said that all the way up until it began raining. Think about that. Can you only imagine his next-door neighbors? Hey, hey, honey, it's raining outside. Yeah, it is. Probably, I've never seen that before. It's kind of interesting. Isn't it? Hey, honey, it's still raining today. Hey, honey, it's still raining today. Within a few days, they're gone because the floods came. People die in flash floods. People die in floodwaters today. They just didn't pay attention to it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 24 for a second. I want you to see this firsthand. Because it brings us all home to you and I. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. This is Jesus Christ talking about Noah and pointing us to sin. Verse 36 of chapter 24, Matthew says this, "...but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only." The apostles have been asking, asking Jesus Christ, "When are you going to come? When are you coming back?" He said, "I'm leaving." He said, well, "When are you coming back? When are you coming back?" But of that day and hour, no one knows—not even my angels in heaven, nor my—but my Father only. And then, verse thirty-seven: But as in the days that Noah were, so also will be coming the son of man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, until the day of Noah, until the day Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. What Jesus Christ is saying here, and he said it in other areas of the scripture here, he says that I'm coming back as a thief in the night. You're not going to know. You're not going to know when I'm coming. Just like the people on Noah. They didn't believe Noah. They didn't listen to all the warnings, all the desires of, of Noah to, to, to save those people. God couldn't find one person besides Noah in his that still walked with him. They still believed in Jesus in, in God Almighty. It's the same today. God's saying it's going to be the same today. And I love what Isaiah said in chapter, chapter 6, verse 9. He said, he's, God's telling Isaiah to go. He says, go and tell this people who keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. I don't know if you've ever kind of followed through that scripture there, but that scripture is repeated in Jeremiah. It's repeated in Acts, but the Apostle Paul tells the Romans there, you guys see these things but you don't perceive them. You hear these things, but you don't understand. But it's also Jesus Christ that's recorded in all four Gospels, says the same thing to people at that time. Hey, you got eyes, but you don't see. you got ears, but you don't hear. He's telling them over and over. It's It's a theme throughout the Bible. We have a problem with God's Holy Word. We don't take God's Holy Word serious enough. We realize there's a Bible out there. We realize, hey, I've read a little bit of it, but we don't realize that this is a secret to life. This gives life. This tells us how we can handle our problems, how we can negotiate our way through a broken world. How can a godly man walk his way through a broken world? It's tough. I'm here to tell you, it's tough. tough for a pastor. Because we truly live in a broken world. Just like the people in Noah's time. had every opportunity for 120 years. You know, that speaks to God's patience. People saying, well, God ought to come back now. Ruth Graham Lott said, hey, if God doesn't destroy America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. You and I got to be asking the questions: How bad do things have to get in America before God comes back? How things? How bad do things have to get before God takes His hammer to America? I believe He's given us all kinds of wake-up calls, but you know what? He's given us most of all His holy word. His holy word to understand that God hates sin. God gave the time, the people of Noah's time, 120 years. He's given us all these years in America. God is a patient God. God desires that not one person should perish. God didn't want to see that. But God said enough is enough. I've had it. I believe today God's looking down and saying, hey, enough is enough. I need you to get serious about me. You know, I, I know you know scripture. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Matthew 5, and 30. This is, God gives a, Jesus Christ gives a powerful evaluation of sin here. Jesus says this. He's talking to him about what sin is. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you to have one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you to have one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. That's radical. That's incredibly radical. That God would say, if you sin with your hand, cut it off. If you sin with your eyes, cut it off. I mean, I don't know if it can get more direct or more serious about how serious sin is. Serious, serious, serious. We should be alarmed as well, though, how casually we take sin. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the God, glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. God not only says that because of your sin, you need to go cut off your arm or your hand or your eye. He's saying if you continue to sin and die that way, you're going to hell. You're going to die. The wages of sin is death. You know, we think about all the different things in this life that we kind of figure out as life goes on. One of those things, I think, is the law of Gravity. Most of us understand that if I walked up on the roof of this building here, jumped off, I'm coming down. I'm not floating up. I'm coming down. A big guy like me, I'm coming down pretty fast and pretty hard too. But we understand gravity. We realize that we need to be careful when we're in we high places and top of ladders or whatever it might be because you've got that law of gravity out there working against us. Do we understand the law of sin? And God says we've all sinned. But God also says His law that the wages of sin is death. Do you understand that God has a plan for our lives? God desires for us to live right. You know, it's interesting, too, that um, have we ever really studied the aspect of sin, where it comes from? I think most of you know it comes from our heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is extremely sick. He's talking about the heart here. The heart is deceitful above all things. Anytime you sin, it originates in your heart. Sin is all about a relationship. I either have a relationship with the world, or I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a choice. And a lot of times we analyze our sin based on, well, I I do a lot better than old Joe over here. You know, old Joe over here, he doesn't do very good at all. Sam over here, Pete over here, whoever it might be. That I do a lot better than those guys. That's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. You know that. Sinning is not about wrongdoing. Sinning is about wrong being. My heart and my life is not focused in the right direction. And a lot of times we figure, well, you know, I'm not doing that bad because I haven't murdered anybody or committed an armed robbery or assaulted anybody this week. I'm doing pretty good. Well, there's all kinds of sins that a lot of times we don't think about. And I believe with all my heart we need to spend more time in confession. God, I confess my sins to you. And we list them. Think about the things you think. And then ask God, God, I know there's things in my life that I'm not even thinking about. Now help me to identify those things. God, I don't want anything to stand in the fullness of your grace coming my way. I want to feel your grace in my life, God. I want to understand these things. Think about anger. Think about bitterness. Think about unforgiveness. Some of us struggle with that. I've had that struggle in my lifetime before. How about worry? How about holding on to the past? Sin is a desperate and determined independence from God. I've used this illustration before, but it's worthy talking about. I just mentioned anger. You know what anger is? It's a desperate, and determined independence from God. If we get angry at somebody else, you know what we've done? We need to have Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of our life. He needs to sit right here, right in the middle of my life. Where I see him, I feel him, I know he's there every day, and I'm walking with him in a powerful way. But when I want to get angry, you know what I do? I just kind of brush him off that throne and put myself up there. I deserve to get mad today because that person deserves my anger and my wrath. That, that person deserves me to be mad at them. When we sin, that's exactly what we do. We move Jesus Christ off the throne of our life. He might be down here on the left side or the right side or in a spare room in the back of the house or someplace but I've moved them off that throne because I have a right to do this because I feel bad or hurt my feelings or what it might be. No, we don't have a right. We, desire, we need to be righteous. You know, a lot of times we say we don't need God. I just heard this statistic last week. 34% of millennials, that's kind of the biggest section of our population right now that's kind of in the middle of everything, 34% of millennials are either atheist, agnostic, which means they don't know if there's a God, or they're what they call today, they have a new term called nuns. I'm none of those things. I'm just out there in Never Neverland. I'm a nuns. You know, it's interesting here, though. This isn't just a sad story all day long here. There's a beautiful picture of salvation here. This is a precursor, a moment of Christology here, as we look at Jesus Christ in the story of Noah. That ark is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our ark today. That ark saved Noah and his family. God saved him. God spared him. Why? Because of the man that Noah was. Noah was living in dark times, but you know what? Noah stood out from the darkness. That's what God's called you and I to be. Jesus Christ himself said that you and I are light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. What kind of person was Noah? He's the kind of person that you and I should want to be. And that we can be if we really desire to live that way in this world. Look at verse 8 for a second. Chapter 6 of Genesis it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did not earn that grace. He didn't work for that grace. He didn't deserve that grace, but he found grace. We say, well, how did Noah find grace? How did that happen? Because God found him. Well, okay, that's understanding, understanding, pastor, but how did that happen? God found, listen very carefully, God found Noah because Noah believed God. Noah believed God. God told him to build an ark. What did he do? He believed him. Went and did it. Noah found grace. How do you and I find grace today? It's belief. Probably four or five years ago, my precious wife said she wanted to find some things that said believe on them for Christmas decorations. So now we have a number of things we believe on them, and I love it. The foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ is based on that one word, belief. Noah believed God, and God saved him. I want to tell you something else that happened here. God justified Noah because he believed. Remember in the Old Testament, who else got justified? Abraham got justified, right? God told Abraham to pack up everything and you're leaving tomorrow morning. He did it. And then God said, hey, take your son, your your son of promise, the one I promised you forever that uh, would multiply and and bring more people in the stars or in the heaven in this world. He believed him again and took him up that mountain, willing to sacrifice him. Faith justified Abraham. Faith and belief justified Noah. Faith and belief justify you and I. Well, what does justification mean? It's a legal term. It means our standing is made right in the presence of God. God makes our presence, God makes our being right with Him. We can't make our relationship with God right any other way except through belief. But we see it all the way back here in the Old Testament. God justifies us through our belief in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. All i got to do is truly believe in Jesus Christ. Truly believe that He lived, He died, and He was raised on the third day. Lives in heaven today. I believe that. But it's also a desire that goes along that when I confess with my mouth, it says in Romans 10.9. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you can be saved, it says. But if I believe, you know how that belief comes, the desire to change, just like Noah here. He desired to do what God told him to do. We receive grace when we believe. You know, it's interesting here, because Noah believed, he found grace. What we see coming from that grace is fruit in his life. The fruit is described in verse 9. We'll finish up with his thoughts. This is the genealogy of Noah, it says in verse 9. Noah was a just man, a perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. It's interesting here, the first thing it says is Noah was a righteous man. He did not get righteousness because of his good works. He performed good works because of his righteousness. God set him apart because of Jesus Christ. It's the same as the difference between the apostle Paul and James. James says, Paul says we're justified by our faith and faith alone. James says, faith without works is dead. Now, how can you kind of compare those two things? What flows from our faith in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that we get because of Jesus Christ is a desire to do things for him. Just like Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was Saul at the time on that road to Damascus. He met Jesus Christ face to face. He was one of the most brutal anti-Christians of all time. Met Jesus Christ face to face, and what did he say? After he met Jesus Christ and realized he was in the face of God Almighty, he says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That should be the natural outpouring when I get saved. What's next, God? God, what can I do for you? Noah was a righteous man. This is the first time in the Bible that we see that word righteous used. Only righteousness that God will accept today is through Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting here today when we think about trying to figure out where we're at. I have several jobs at home that my wife has been kind enough to give me. Things she thinks I can handle. One of those things is taking the trash out. And uh, so uh, she and I have different perspectives about when that trash can's full. And uh, I said, well, I can get some more stuff in there. I'll keep cramming it down. I always regret it because it takes forever to get this, the little garbage bag out of that thing, a container there. But I keep packing it down. And then I take it outside and keep packing it in the trash cans outside. So I can I can store up a lot of trash in a few small containers where well, she just assumes it goes to the dump because it smells bad. She's got a better smell than I do, too. So she smells it. I don't smell it. I don't know if it's intentional (laughs) denial. But I want you to think about this for just a second. Just like the old pastor packs that trash away in the trash can and packs it outside the trash cans, a lot of times you and I are guilty, pastor included, of packing down things in our lives that don't belong there. I can figure out a way to live this thing. I know it's not right, God, but I can figure out a way. It's a new normal we can figure out in our head. I can live with this stuff. Or I've been hurt, so I kind of have a bitterness here, or these sort of things. So it, it begs the question, in the of my life, what am I packing into my life right now that doesn't belong there? What am I cramming down into a spare room in my house here that my life, that I just pack it away? I'm pretty good at packing things away and not thinking about them, you know, because I can get on and live my life and still be happy because even though I know every once in a while I start thinking about it, I got this little problem down there. I got these little things that I've been hiding for years, or denying for years, or rejecting for years, or things that have caused me not to be. Free. Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. You and I are captives. What are we captive to today? What is the sin in yours in my life that I'm holding on to that? I don't need to hold on to anymore. I'm here to tell you and listen very carefully. And this is on my heart, you know that. We've shared a couple of things about this. Sin is a thing that destroys all things, including churches. And it's not so much that sin against each other, we have that sometimes in the church. But it's because we come here and we're not open to God's Holy Spirit moving in us. How does revival come to our lives? It's when I jettison this stuff out. I, I take the trash to the dump and get rid of it. Give it to God Almighty. I don't hold on to this trash anymore. I'm finished and done with this trash. Just like God said, enough is enough for those people in those times. God has said enough is enough for our generation today too. God holds back blessings from Christians when we're holding on to trash and we're packing that trash into our life. But you and I need to get serious in our life and say, hey, what is there in my life right now that's holding back the fullness of God's grace? Noah found grace. Why? Because he believed God and he desired to follow God with all he had. For 120 years, he built that ark. You may have been there before. I'm not going to give you all statistics, but that ark was 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. That's a big boat in the middle of the desert. It says, Noah was perfect in all generations there. The second part of that scripture we just read in verse 9. Doesn't mean he was blameless. Doesn't mean that he was perfect. You know what it meant? It meant that he had integrity. He had a good reputation. He was a man people looked at and said, I can trust that guy. Even though they made fun of him. I want you to think about the difference here between righteous and blameless. Righteous means it speaks to the standing we have before God. Blameless speaks to the fact uh, the relationship we have with man. Righteous with God, blameless with man. Listen very carefully. If I'm walking in a righteous way with God, I should be able to walk blameless before man. If I'm not walking in a righteous way with God, I'm never going to be able to do the blameless thing with man, because I can't remember our own stories. You know they say that about lying. <laughs> Don't lie because you forget the stories. What was the story I told? God has an incredible plan for you and I. And then it says, Noah, walked with God. His great-grandfather, we mentioned that earlier, Enoch, walked with God. You know how we walk with God? It's very simple. Jesus Christ, over and over in the Bible, says, follow me. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. Follow me. I want to walk with God. I just need to follow Jesus. How do I follow him? Come to know him. Come to understand what he expects, what he wants from me. I can tell you right now, there's two different kinds of sin. There's sins of commission. That's actually an action, doing something. Then there's sins of commission. Yep. Omission. Yep, exactly. Thank you. My prompter down here. Sins of omission. Sins of omission are things we should be doing, but we don't. I'm thankful that we've undertaken as a church to read God's word this year in a greater way. I hear from a lot of you that you're doing that and enjoying that. But how about praying? How about forgiving? How about intercessory prayer, praying for other people? How about taking time just to confess? I mentioned that before. Confessing our sins. Let me finish with this thought. Can you imagine if Noah was standing up here this morning? What do you think he'd say? Based on God's word, I'd say he'd say, he'd say repent. He said, get ready. He said, God's judgment's coming. He says, don't wait. He said, there's no promise of tomorrow. How many people in this room right now know with absolute certainty that you'll be here tomorrow? None of us can say that. hope we all are. None of us know the time of the hour, but God does. How do any of us know for sure that uh, this might not be the last time that we ever really think or talk about God in our lives? Our ark today, I mentioned a few minutes ago, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That means nobody lives forever except by me. I love what God told Joshua to tell the nation of Israel when they're getting ready to cross over in the promised land. It says this in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. What does that mean? It means I want to put on my best. I want to prepare myself. I want to set myself apart. I want to make sure that I'm listening. Over and over in the Old Testament, God told the nation of Israel to consecrate yourself, to sanctify yourself, somewhat synonymous. He says, repent. Every time he asks the nation of Israel to do that, you know what he's doing? He's saying, I'm getting ready to do something here. I'm getting ready to tell you something I'm getting ready to show you something. I'm getting ready to touch your life in such a way it'll change your life forever. God is saying to you and I today, consecrate yourself. Sanctify yourself. Repent. Repent means to change our direction. I'm going this way, but I want to go this way. 180 degrees. I've had several... Mishaps in my life when I've put a pen into my shirt pocket, didn't put the cap back on it. Maybe you've had that experience before, too. And um, look up. Sometimes I don't even notice it. Later on, i get home and Amy says, say, what's that big black spot on your shirt there? And I say, oh, my goodness. Messed it up. And as you know, it's hard to get those ink stains out. And over the years, we've tried all kinds of things. Hairspray, they say, did it, but that didn't really do it totally. But we found a cleaners one time that knew how to do it. They had the chemicals or whatever it was to get that ink spot out. and So a couple of shirts that I messed up over the years, we'd take them down to that cleaners and they'd fix them for us. and Thankful because that shirt came back pristine. Couldn't tell the ink mark was there. I loved it. A couple of those shirts were my favorite shirts. Messed them up. There's a cleaner in glory today that because of Jesus Christ wants to do a marvelous work on your life. A lot of people feel, well, I'm too old or I've seen too many things or done too many, made too many mistakes in my life. And God can never remove the stains from my life. I'm here to tell you, based on God's holy word and the promise of Jesus Christ, that he can change your life. He removes those stains with a blink of an eye. He gives you a brand new life. You're a new creation in Christ, the Bible says. All things are new. He gives us not only a new heart, but he gives us a new nature. He gives us a new life. God desires to do a marvelous work. Even though a lot of times we kind of get stuck on the Noah story about the ark and the animals, and now we kind of understand sin, I want you to know the bigger story and the whole story of Noah was God showing us that he loves us. He desires for us to be with him. He shows us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He shows us that i got a plan for your life and I want you to understand these things. You know, until we really get to the point and understand these things, we had no idea how my life is different from what it was before. When I came to meet Jesus Christ, he changed everything. And then he put me on a road to grow with him and to continue to learn things with him and continue to understand this new life. It's made my marriage better than I could even begin to imagine some 31 years ago, almost 32 years ago. It's given me an incredible family that has come to know the Lord. It's just changed everything, and God desires to do that. There's no stain on our lives too big that God can't change. God desires to wipe away those stains, make us pure as 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 a beautiful driven snow.